0: Welcome to the Domestic Fuel Cast, a podcast devoted to news and information about alternative fuels and energy. Produced and hosted by Zimcom New Media.
1: Biofuels are the talk of Commodity Classic. I'm your host, John Davis. It's the largest gathering of corn and soybean growers, so it's no wonder Commodity Classic is also a great place to talk about ethanol and biodiesel production, considering that the grains are the two biggest feedstocks for those biofuels. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack told the gathering that it is important for the country to understand why ethanol and biodiesel are keys to rebuilding the American economy.
2: It's going to take building the domestic markets as well, which is why the biofuels industry as an example is a good way for us to bring prosperity and and economic vitality to all regions of the country, using different feedstocks, creating different research projects to promote efficiencies and creating that kind of economic momentum. But even that isn't enough. You also have to have the companion component of building stronger rural communities that have jobs that provide off-farm income. Uh, Whether it's uh, biofuels where somebody has to operate and maintain the plant, or whether it's a small business that's aided by expanded broadband access, or it's a local processing facility or slaughter facility or warehousing facility that allows better linkage between local production and local consumption, you're building a local economy.
1: One of the impediments to growth in the ethanol sector has been the blend wall created by the 10% ethanol blend limit with regular gasoline. Vilsack understands farmers and ethanol producers' frustrations with the delay in the government implementing a 15% ethanol blend, but he explained the delay is because there's testing going on at the Department of Energy.
2: The testing is important in terms of uh, expanding uh, the, the, the blend rate so that we know precisely what engines are, are impacted negatively or positively by E15. I think uh, the EPA Administrator indicated when she announced uh, this extension that that there is already testing that that acknowledges that in the newer model cars, E15 is fine, which suggests to me that we're going to see an increase in that blend rate. The question now is at what point do you essentially say these cars can use E15, these cars can't, and once you have that, then it's important for us to use real development resources to make sure the distribution systems uh, create the opportunity for you to drive in with a newer model car and use E15 or E85, and for me to come in right after you, flip a switch, and I can do E10 because that's all my car can take. What we want is consistency, and we we don't want a circumstance where... um, a blanket approvals given I drive in with my car and the next thing I know there's a problem with it and I blame it on ethanol and it creates a, 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 a sort of a decline in the market we want stability so I'm not troubled by getting it right uh, as long as we get it right and, uh, and I, I think we're, we're headed in that direction and I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating that we're going to see uh, uh, some some increase in that blend rate.
1: But Brian Jennings the executive director of the American Coalition for Ethanol isn't buying the waiting-for-testing excuse. He says the higher blends have already been tested and proven effective.
0: And so I think that is frustrating to a lot of us watching this process from the outside, understanding that blends like E-20 and E-30 can work and do work in these engines that are not modified. It seems to me that there's a lot of political pressure on EPA from some corners the small engine community particularly to try and find that needle in the haystack that may or may not exist that says oh maybe there's a problem with E15 and so what they're doing now is looking at the catalyst durability in cars and they're also doing some more work on small engines but it does seem frustrating to us that they keep looking for some sort of an excuse to delay or not to make the decision when we feel the preponderance of evidence so far and as it continues to come in is going to justify this and so I think they're under they being EPA under enormous pressure from opponents Unfortunately, I think that's affecting this timeline a little bit, and uh, we just have to keep the pressure on our side as well and make sure whatever data we have, we provide to EPA.
1: And Jennings points to the contradiction of the renewable fuel standard and the limit on ethanol blends.
0: They are completely incongruent. You're right. You've got a federal law that says 36 billion gallons, and then you've got a regulation that limits us to 10% and the two don't work together and i think there's got to be greater recognition by you know everyone within the obama administration that they've got to help us fix this problem that the that the data justifies it and increasingly they've got to recognize we can't make this quantum leap from e10 to e85 and expect to meet the goals of the RFS. It's going to have to take these mid-level blends.
1: That concern is echoed by Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association, who says we need the infrastructure in place now to handle these future blends. The problem that we've been facing for well over a decade is you simply cannot flip a light switch and for this infrastructure to be there. And I think a lot of it is uh, you know, lack of education and a lack of infrastructure. I mean, if you don't drive past an E85 station every day, you probably don't know all the details and all the benefits of it. From the commodity side of the house, National Corn Growers Association President Darren Enan told the gathering that getting E15 passed is his
2: group's top priority. The ethanol industry is one of our biggest uh, users of corn. If you look at the bushels we're projected to grow into the future, uh, we know we can supply corn for all of our needs, especially the ethanol industry. And so to to as a corn grower, to use up those extra bushels, we need those higher blends, uh, not only to help our bottom line, help the ethanol industry, Uh, and help all of agriculture as a whole. What kind of excitement is there among your producers about the the potential of this issue? Well, this is a game changer because, again, we're producing more bushels. We've got to find more demand uh, for our product, and, and the ethanol industry can give us that growth demand. And by getting us the higher blends, again, it just gives us an opportunity to use more corn.
1: His counterpart, American Soybean Association President Rob Jocelyn, also spoke to the General Session of Commodity Classic. He said the soybean industry's top priority is to get the federal dollar-a-gallon tax incentive for biodiesel implemented again.
3: We need it now, biodiesel tax incentive put back in place. It's costing the U.S. soybean farmers 25 cents for every bushel. On my 500 acres of soybeans, that's over $6,000 a year. Couple that with all the jobs lost, that's, that's, that's our job goal, job goal right now for
1: ASA. And in a separate interview with domestic fuel, Jocelyn pointed out just how much money that incentive actually makes for the government, returning about four to one on the investment while getting the country out from under the yoke of foreign oil.
3: It generated over $866 million in direct tax revenue back into the tax coffers. So it's just a great, again, it's a great success story. One of the things that I think people have to realize, we are increasing Every year our dependence on foreign imported oil from obviously very unreliable, unstable governments, and we need to develop a domestic source of energy and biodiesel is one of those domestic sources amongst many, but it's one that we have the technology, the expertise and the ability to produce right now.
1: Jocelyn says with the tax break coming so close to being passed so many times, he kind of feels like a bride repeatedly left at the altar. But he says they're working on getting the incentive implemented for the long term.
3: Right now we're just working on a one-year tax extension because we think that's that's the most uh, easiest thing to pass. But before the end of the year, we clearly need a five-year tax extension. We had the same thing happen last year. It was passed late in the year. Plant managers put together budgets, put together business plans, and having a business plan that can change every December 31 on the whim of Congress is not working for them. So as soon as we get done getting this back in place, retroactively January 1, we're starting right away on a five-year extension to be in place for the next five years.
1: And now the people who heard and participated in the discussion about biofuels at Commodity Classic turn their attention to Washington, D.C. and wait to see if anyone there is listening to them. I'm John Davis
0: reporting. You've been listening to the Domestic Fuel Cast, the official podcast of domesticfuel.com. Check out the website daily for the latest good news about the alternative energy industry.